Well, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Wayne, and we're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, today, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians and looking at how we, as God's people, um, are called out of sin uh, and darkness to be a new community. But we're also called to live out that identity in our world today. And in verse 21 of the passage that was just read for us, uh, Paul gives a summary statement of what that all means. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, as God's chosen people, uh, we are to be characterized by this relationship of mutual love and submission for each other. And in the next section in today's passage, Paul, he, he begins to talk about how this calling is also lived out in specific relationships that we find ourselves in. And so in marriage as husbands and wives, in our families as parents and children, and also in our workplaces as um, slaves and masters, our modern-day equivalent would be bosses and employees. And so we'll be looking at marriage this week and family and work next week. I think for some of you, I imagine as you heard uh, today's text read, uh, perhaps some of the things in here probably didn't sit well with you. But let me preface the message for today with just one note on the context in which Paul is speaking. If you notice, Paul, uh, he begins in this section with a person who in the first century is in a position of vulnerability. So women, slaves, and children. And he calls each of these groups to do something in light of the gospel that actually brings them honor and dignity in a society that does not. And here's what John Stott writes about this entire section. Um, it's a long quote, but I think it's quite important for us to read. He says, We who name Christ's name need to acknowledge with shame that we ourselves have often acquiesced in the status quo and so help to perpetuate, perpetuate some forms of human oppression instead of being the vanguard of those seeking social change. Nothing in the paragraphs we are about to study is inconsistent with the li true liberation of human beings from all humiliation, exploitation, and oppression. On the contrary, to whom do women, children, and workers chiefly owe their liberation? Is it not to Jesus Christ? It is Jesus Christ who treated women with courtesy and honor in an age which they were despised. And he goes on, but before we get there, let me just add this. Uh, the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection were women. And God dignified them by using their witness to proclaim the good news to the world. And in an entire society where the testimony of women did not count in court, in God's eyes, their testimony was equal to everyone else. And the gospel is full of instances where Jesus affirms 
the dignity and value of women and their equality as those who bear the image of God in an age full of those who denigrated women. Uh, John's thought continues. And he says, It is Jesus Christ who said, Let the children come to me. In a period of history in which unwanted babies were consigned to the local rubbish dump or abandoned in the forum for anyone to pick up and rear for slavery or prostitution. And it is Jesus Christ who taught the dignity of manual labor by working himself as a carpenter, washing his disciples' feet and saying, I am among you as one who serves. And so I think it's important for us to really keep this in mind as we look at what Paul says this week and what he says to us next week. Well, our passage today is uh, the longest passage in the Bible on marriage. And it's a passage well known uh, for laying out a unique Christian vision of marriage. And so in our time today, uh, we'll unpack what this unique vision is. First, uh, we'll look at this call to submit. Second, we'll look at the call to sacrificial love. And third and finally, we'll look at the meaning of marriage. Uh, But let's pray before we begin. Father, we ask for your help uh, for us as we enter in and look at these uh, challenging and difficult verses. But Father, we know that you have given these uh, to us for our benefit. And so may we listen, uh, may we submit to you humbly, and may you help us really live out these words um, that give us freedom and um, living out the gospel in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, let's look at the call to submit. Paul begins, and he uh, says it pretty plainly. Uh, Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And it's a controversial verse because the word submit is oftentimes seen as a derogatory word in today's culture. But let's first talk about what to submit does not mean. It doesn't mean that wives are inferior or of lesser value than their husbands. And Galatians 3 says men and women are equally loved and valued in God's sight. It is not a justification for abuse or mistreatment or any type of subjection or slavery. Uh, This is also not a call, if you notice, to submit to every man. But Paul says to submit to your own husband if you're married. But neither in the context of marriage is it a call to mutual submission. Because Paul doesn't call husbands to submit to the wives. In the next passage, parents aren't called to submit to the children. And perhaps most clearly, Christ isn't called to submit to the church. And so what does this word submit mean? Well, literally, this word in the original language uh, means to be ordered underneath something else. 
And so at the heart of this whole concept and this word of submission is the concept of order. What Paul's saying here is he's saying when God created marriage, when he instituted marriage, he created it with a certain order and a certain structure and a certain purpose that he created it with. And so if we are to live as God intended us to live in marriage, it means actually living according to that God-created order. And for wives, Paul says that means submitting to their husbands. He goes on in verse 23, and he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior. In chapter one of Ephesians, Paul, he, he talks about, if you remember, uh, the concept of Christ being the head of the church, which assumes a sort of leadership and responsibility. You know, Jesus is the one who is the leader and responsible for the church, his people. And so in the same way, Paul, he's saying that God has given to husbands a unique role of leadership and responsibility in marriage. And so God has created marriage with a certain order, a certain structure, and has given one role to the husband and another to the wife. And this isn't a perfect analogy, but if you can, uh, just for a moment, uh, imagine a set of partners dancing in a ballroom. And as you watch this couple dancing, you notice that as they make their way across the stage and move a- according to the music, you notice that they do so as if they were one. And what's beautiful about this is that even though they're moving their body in different ways, they're actually moving together in perfect unison. But if you know the dynamics of the couple, you actually know that one is leading and one is following. And it's really in that dynamic interaction between the partners, you know, one taking initiative and leading gently, you know, mindful of the other person, and the other following responding to the other's initiative and leadership. It's really in that dynamic relationship as they complement each other, as they help the other person shine, that creates something of great beauty. In that partnership, there can't be two leaders, but also there can't be two followers but there are roles for each one of them to play that are different but equally important. And what Paul says is God has given husbands and he's given wives particular roles in marriage as well that are designed to help them function as God intended. And when that happens, it's something incredibly powerful and beautiful to witness. Paul, he he goes on, and in verse 24, he says, Wives submit to their husbands in everything, 
as the church submits to Christ. And Paul here, he isn't saying that wives are to be passive and that they don't have any voice in marriage. Or that even if a husband is sinning or leads her into sin, that she should follow. Her ultimate allegiance is to Christ. But Paul is saying that the general pattern of that relationship of marriage should be one where the husband is exercising a godly and loving leadership and ownership of the marriage relationship as the wife submits to him. And it's important to note that these different roles in marriage does not mean that one has more value than the other. Uh, One author puts it this way. He says, there is equality, but not symmetry. There is equality, but not symmetry. In the roles God set out for husbands and wives, there's nothing demeaning in that pattern. Because in scripture, that pattern of submission and sacrifice is none other than the pattern of Christ himself. Jesus, he willingly submitted to the will of his Father. And it wasn't because he was unequal. In fact, all three members of the Trinity are equal to one another. And yet they have different roles. And the fact that Jesus, God himself, demonstrates what submission looks like to us shows us that actually there is nothing demeaning about it. And I think, husbands, if we demean our wives in that role, we actually profane the high and the beautiful calling that God has called your wives to. Well, as we move on, uh, secondly, let's look at the call to sacrificial love. The call to sacrificial love. Uh, Paul, he goes on in verse 25, and he now speaks to husbands. And he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you remember Paul in verse 23, he has just said that husbands are the head of their wives. That they have this responsibility to exercise leadership. But he goes on here and he says that the type of leadership husbands are supposed to show and exercise is not an authoritative or oppressive type of leadership. Neither is it a passive or absent type of leadership. But Paul says the way husbands are to lead is through an intentional, sacrificial, loving leadership, just as Christ loved his church. In other words, this pattern, this way that a husband leads his wife, is to be defined by the cross. And Paul gives us two analogies to flesh this out. Uh, The first analogy that Paul gives us is a wedding. And so in verse 26, he says this. He says, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
More specifically, this first analogy that Paul gives is the wedding day of Jesus and his church. And the picture is of Jesus, uh, who is the groom. And he takes his bride, uh, meaning the church, you and I. And he prepares us for this beautiful wedding day by making us holy through giving himself up for us. It's really a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus taking someone who's unworthy, weak, sinful, and someone like you and me. And through his sacrificial love, through the cross, he makes us into a beautiful, radiant, holy bride ready for him on the day he returns. And Paul, he, he brings us up not because husbands can save their wives. You know, husbands are just sinful and unworthy and in, in need of Jesus. But only Jesus himself can do this. But Paul says this is how you should love your wife. In other words, what it means to love your wife is to care for her, to bless her, to love her, to do everything you can to help her grow towards godliness, to help her use her gifts, and to help her fulfill the purpose that God has for her life. And just in case we don't get this, Paul gives us another analogy in verse 28. And he says this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And so the second analogy that Paul gives us is just as you feed and you care for your own body, husbands, this is how you should love your wife. God says when uh, two people get married, they become one. And so that when a husband cares for his wife, he's really caring for himself. Just as you can't remove the head from a body, you can't separate yourself and your wife. And so Paul's saying, lead her. Take care of her, love her, serve her as if you were yourself. And it happens when we provide godly and loving leadership and responsibility. When we're willing to lead by sacrificial love. When we desire to draw out her gifts, her potential, her holiness, and allow her to flourish. When we seek to care for her, serve her, and love our wives as we would ourselves. Because this is what Christ did for the church. And the hope is as you exercise this this godly, sacrificial, loving leadership, it will be a joy and a delight for your wife to submit to your leadership as you lead her. And so what does this look like in practice? And I think it's interesting because Paul does not give us culturally specific instructions here. 
You know, he doesn't say a husband always has to go to work and wives always have to stay at home. He doesn't say husbands have to take care of the finances and wives have to do all the housework. He doesn't bring it down to a culturally specific instruction. But he leaves it to couples in different cultures, in different times, in different circumstances, to really work out what these principles mean for them. Every couple is different, and they will have to communicate and work to figure out what that looks like in their own circumstances and time. How these principles work out in your marriage is up to you, to work out with the help of God, His Word, and the Holy Spirit. But finally, as we come to our last point, let's look at the meaning of marriage. The meaning of marriage. Because when marriage functions as God intended, it actually becomes for us a picture of Christ and the church. As wives submit to the husbands, the church submits to Christ. And as husbands love their wives, so does Christ love the church. And Paul here, he quotes uh, Genesis 2.24, which says, For this reason, a man will live, leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's a foundational Old Testament text on marriage. And so it's really no surprise that Paul quotes this here. But here is the surprise of the text. And it's in verse 32. Paul says, This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Uh, let me just explain. The profound mystery Paul is referring to here is not marriage. The profound mystery that Paul is referring to here is also not the union between Christ and the church. The profound mystery that Paul refers to here is the relation between human marriage and the union of Christ and the church. Now, let me just say that again. The profound mystery that Paul is referring to is the relation between human marriage and the union of Christ and the church. And so Paul, he's been talking about marriage this entire section. And at the very end, Paul says, actually, what I've been really talking about all along is not marriage. It's not human marriage. I've actually been talking about Christ and the church. And this is the surprise. This is the mystery. And it's this, from the very beginning of time, when God created marriage, when he designed marriage, when he instituted it, back in the book of Genesis, he designed marriage as a picture, as a reflection of the relationship that Christ has with the church. 
And Paul says that's the mystery. It was God's intention all along. Before the church existed, even before Christ came to this earth, that was his plan for marriage all along. And so if you want to understand the union between Christ and the church, the illustration that God has given us is a good marriage. Look at a good marriage and how that works. And Paul is also saying that we actually don't really understand the true purpose and meaning of marriage and what it's meant to be until we understand the relationship of Christ and the church. And this is a profound mystery, this relationship, that God has created human marriage to be a reflection, a picture of the union between Christ and the church. I think it's an incredible revelation that Paul makes here, that God has chosen something like human marriage as broken, as fragile that relationship can sometimes be, to be the analogy, the picture, the reflection of the greatest love that ever existed, of the greatest reality in this entire universe, Christ's love for his church. Uh, some of you might know this about me, uh, but I'm actually a huge fan of jazz. And six years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a concert of one of, or if you ask me, I'm the greatest jazz pianist alive. Um, his name is Keith Jarrett. Uh, he's now in his uh, 70s. But that concert that I attended um, turned out to be the very last concert that he would ever play at before uh, his retirement. And I remember I had purchased tickets uh, months in advance. I was so looking forward to this. And on the day of a few church friends and I, we drove an hour and a half um, through rush hour traffic all the way from uh, Brooklyn in New York City to New Jersey, which is another state away, just to get to this concert hall. And uh, the next two and a half hours in that concert hall, listening to Keith Jarrett, uh, his bassist and his drummer play, were probably uh, a few of the greatest moments in my entire life. And it was really watching how the trio worked in absolute harmony. They knew exactly what they needed to do, uh, even with their eyes closed. Um, hearing these beautiful melodies and solos reverberate inside this beautiful concert hall. And really feeling this uh, power and weight of emotion uh, just through the keys of a piano. And every now and then, um, ever since I went to that concert, I would put on my headphones and listen to. Uh, the CDs or recordings of the same songs that they played that night to really remind myself of the experience of sitting there live, listening to them at the concert. But the recording itself is not the same as experience. It's just a faint reminder of the full experience.
And in the same way, God has designed marriage to be a reminder and a reflection of a much greater reality, the union of Christ and his church. And the message to each one of us is that there is a much greater reality that is available to each one of us to which human marriage points. Because marriage, human marriage points to the true union, the true marriage for which we are all made, the union between Christ and his church. And Paul says that union, when you experience it, that relationship with Christ will so far out exceed and surpass any earthly marriage, even the best of marriages. It will be like that night in the concert hall compared compared to listening to recording on your headphones. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this, He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And he goes on and he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. For each of us, we all have a longing inside our hearts that not even the best things of this world, including marriage, can satisfy. Because ultimately, we weren't made for marriage. We're made for the greater thing to which marriage points, which is to be united with Christ. And that is really the only thing that can satisfy us in life. And so for those of us who are uh, currently single and perhaps wanting to be married, the promise here is that everything God has created marriage to be, everything that you can experience in marriage itself can be found in Jesus and more. Because that is what marriage is designed to point us to in the first place. And for those of us who are married, it's also a reminder that we're all stewards in our marriages. And we have an opportunity and responsibility in our years together. And nothing is promised. You just never know. And yet in that time, God has given you the opportunity and time and privilege to love that person, to reflect Christ, and to live out this picture of Christ's union with the church in your marriage. But Jesus also tells us that one day in heaven, 
there's not going to be marriage as we know it today. Because those who, call, who are called his people will be finally united with the great bridegroom. And everything that earthly marriage, human marriage, was designed to point to will find its fulfillment in the divine union, the divine marriage. The church, us as God's people, as his bride, and Jesus as the bridegroom. When we get to see Jesus face to face, everything our hearts have believed, our eyes will then see. Two will finally become one, and we will finally be united with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these uh, very practical words of wisdom. Father, thank you that you have given both husbands and wives um, wisdom to know how best to live in our marriages. Father, may you help us in our marriages. May you give us much strength to really love the other as you have commanded us to. But Father, we also give you thanks for uh, we know that marriage only points towards a much greater reality that each one of us whether we're married or not, can fully experience. And so, Father, we just really give you thanks for this uh, picture of Christ and the church. Father, we thank you for Jesus' love for the church and that each one of us who call on his name can be included in this incredible promise. And so, Father, we give you thanks. um, Encourage us with your words. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.